Celtics Reddit podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. It's our 200th episode, and that means we've got a very, very special guest. He was on our 100th episode, actually. It's Lee Ellis of the No Dunks podcast, formerly the Starters, formerly the Basketball Jones. Lee came on to talk about that Wild Buck series, the upcoming conference finals against the Heat, and a bunch of other stuff. So I'm going to stop labbing here and let's get into it. All right, we're here with Lee Ellis of the Athletics No Dunks podcast, the GOAT. Aussie Hoops podcaster. Lee, thanks for coming on. How are you, mate? Very good, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Back uh, for the for the double century. I didn't think I'd get there, but uh, well done, guys. It's a, it's a great effort by you to stick at it and to keep at it. So I'm happy to come back every 100 episodes. I uh, appreciate it. We'll hold you to that for the uh, the triple ton, the 300th episode there. Look, we're going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals shortly, um, but us Celtics fans, like we need to bask in the glow of the Bucs series win just a little bit longer. Uh, Lee, like I was honestly 50-50 going into this Bucs series, even knowing that they were missing Middleton. What were your expectations going into this series? And then how did it all play out, I guess, like based on those expectations? Well, it definitely tilted it in Boston's favor when Middleton was out. Um, you know, I, I picked Boston to win it. They were at home. They just had uh, obliterated Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets. But I always think that in any series, the best player tends to be the team that is is going to win the series. And Giannis, I think, is the best player out of this series. But as we saw in game one as well, he was he was incredible. I mean, he, he dominated without sort of having to go for like we saw in these last couple of games where he's putting up 40 and 20 and things like that. And it felt like after game one, it's like, okay, the Bucs can probably do this as long as they get those continual contributions from their role players. But as the series went on, and even in, you know, especially after game five, which they won in Boston, the Bucks didn't quite get those numbers. I mean, Drew Holiday was good without being great, but you were relying on guys like a Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis, and the Bucks just couldn't. Those guys just couldn't perform to the level that the Celtics, you know, role players could. And Grant Williams, I think, is is just the best example of that. I mean, he had a, a very big role in this series defending Giannis a lot of the time, and then basically said, "Hey, get into the corner." We're going to fire the ball. You shoot those threes, and he did a really, really good job of that. So, you know, Boston, there's no um, asterisk or anything like that That because that, Chris Middleton wasn't playing. If he plays, maybe the Bucks win. Who knows? No one really knows the outcome of these things. But the thing is, Boston stepped up, and I think you look at Jason Tatum. I think they won this series in game six because when the series was on the line there, the Bucks had a, a double-digit lead in game six. Jason Tatum put on one of the most incredible performances. I think he finished with 46 there, but it was more the way that Tatum was like, all right, this is this is stardom time right now. And he went out and did that, and he was just incredible. Everyone on that Celtics team kind of, at, at, in the wins had a different contributor. You know, it was like Al Horford had a, had a big game for them there. And uh, I'm try- I've blanked a little bit here, but Jason Tatum, of course, games it. Grant Williams there in game seven. And uh, I'm trying to think of game, uh, what, what game was it? game two, I guess it was Jalen Brown who yeah. did it there for the Celtics. So, you know, I think that's really the difference here. The, the Bucks needed Giannis to be huge and he was. 
but they just didn't have that other guy step up. So uh, this is this was an incredible series. This should have been the conference finals for me. It's disappointing that it wasn't. Um, Milwaukee had a chance to win. They couldn't. Boston had several chances, and eventually they did. And you could sort of tell at halftime, I think, yesterday that it was going to take a huge effort from the Bucks to get back in. You just wondered where that offense was going to come from. And once uh, I think they hit like three or four threes in the first probably 90 seconds to two minutes of that second half, it, it, it was out of reach by then. And Milwaukee, you, you know, you just couldn't sense a, a really big comeback. So, you know, fantastic series, uh, very deserving victory by the Boston Celtics because, again, with or without Chris Middleton, they still had to take down Giannis, who put up, I think, a historically statistically high uh, series. So it's just a bummer that, that that series doesn't now automatically take you into the NBA Finals. You've got to get past the Miami Heat. It'll be tough for the Celtics. But ultimately, uh, that was a great series, lived up to the hype. Yeah, and it's really turned out to look like a potential just poetic run that that we could be enjoying here. I mean, so far so good and we we've obviously got a big uh, a big series to look forward to, but um thinking about and reflecting on, you know, this this past Bucks series here, is there a Celtics player that that maybe you weren't as aware of or or just as savvy to and then has kind of jumped onto your radar after this series and is now someone you're taking a closer look at and, and paying attention to? Well, I, I guess you've got to go deeper. I, uh, Peyton Pritchard got more minutes than I thought he was going to get. I, I thought he would be a sort of uh, breaking case of emergency type of guy or garbage time, but he actually played some pretty good minutes, uh, hit some good threes, and uh, look, he just went out there and fought and scrapped. And I think, again, that's the, the mentality that all the Celtics players have is, you know, defensively, that's where that's where the, the games are really won because Smart, obviously, as the defensive player of the year, we know that's where he likes to, to make his mark there. Jason Tatum, he's been uh, an improved defender. Al Horford's been one of the most underrated defenders his entire career. And then you've got Jalen Brown and, of course, Robert Williams, who missed uh, most of this series. He didn't even, you know, he didn't play yesterday. He was... He was available, but he obviously didn't get out there. I think myself, my suspicion is they probably wanted to try to uh, avoid playing him yesterday in case he was to do any more damage, steal an extra day or two of rest there before he goes up against the Heat because he's going to have a big role in that series. So, But no one really, you know, again, no, none of those guys who played, like even Daniel Tice, I mean, he, he's been there before. He understands, like, you're never really in Imo Doka's doghouse for long. Maybe you are for a game or two, but if he needs you to go out there and play well, he expects you to be ready, and I think that's the mentality there of the Celtics. So I, I just kind of thought, wow, Pritchard's getting some heavy minutes here, but well, you know, heavy minutes relatively speaking. But he also understands if you're out there, they expect you to shoot if you're open and try to create something, and and that's a, that's a very very important thing because if you look at say a Grayson Allen there for the Bucks or a Pat Connaughton even, those guys at times weren't sure if they should be shooting or not if they're out there just to scrap and fight, and I think that's the difference here is is the Celtics really trusted everybody to go out there and perform. And so, um, you know, Peyton Pritchard, again, he's going to get minutes in against the Heat too. There's no doubt about it to, for my mind because there's a lot of guys in a similar sort of situation there for him. Maybe Duncan Robinson plays, you know, uh, Max Struess, uh, Gabe Vincent, those sort of guys as well. He's going to have to go out there and make those guys work when he plays. So, uh, you know, a very impressive series, again, from a guy who you thought maybe he's only going to play a handful of minutes uh, at, at most. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, give us a sense, like from the neutral standpoint, Lee, we are, you know, a hundred episodes ago, we tried to convince you to be a Celtics fan. We are going to try again a little bit later, Um, but like the the general consensus, uh, is that the Bucks need all of Giannis Middleton and Drew Holiday to contend. 
So how is it that the Celtics can be considered contenders with only Tatum and Brown as those sort of top echelon players and not even at that Giannis level? Yeah, well, that's right. I, I, I mean, I think Giannis is the, the best player. I, I think he's the best player in the league. I mean, he was my pick for MVP because he's just so incredibly dominant at both ends. But I think if it, it, the key here for the Celtics is look what they did to Kevin Durant in that first round because Kevin Durant, you know, maybe he's the best player. He probably is the best player out of those two series. But I thought their defense on him was incredible because I've never seen Kevin Durant rushed like he was against the Celtics where he was like every single time he had the ball, he knew he was either having Brown or Smart or Tatum or someone. Most of the time it was two guys. And most of the time they were diving on the ball when he when he was uh, dribbling it. So he knew he had to rush to get to his spot. And then when he raised up, he had two or three guys in his face all the time. So the Celtics understand that everybody out there plays defense. I've already mentioned Al Horford. I saw him up close here when he played for the Hawks. Al Horford uh, has maintained an incredible level of uh, defensive IQ, and that's on display as well because he's not a big guy physically, uh, even athletically, but he just understands how to get guys out of their position to be defensive around the rim, how to, how to sort of turn away those shots and just be in the right spot. And then on the offensive end, Al Horford had an incredible series, spreading the floor, making his guy work, attacking the hoop. We had the, He had that huge dunk on Giannis in game uh, what was it? Four, I think it was. They're all they're all blending together. I can't remember yeah. what a game is these days. But um, so that's it for the Celtics. It's that there's nobody out there. I don't think for the Celtics that has a defensive weakness, and that's that's the real key here. It's like Udoka. It took him probably what forty odd games here to 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 get his message across. I want everyone playing defense. I want everyone rotating, switching, being ready, closing out boxing out for rebounds, doing your job. And that's what they do. Grant Williams, he was brilliant against Kevin Durant too in that first round. Remember a couple of times, like he's a young guy, but he's physical, he's quick, he's got those long arms, he's got good defensive instincts. And then again, it's not like, well, let's just hide him on the offensive end. It's like, now we need you to also be ready to shoot the three if you can. So across the board, the depth. 18. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But that that just shows the mentality of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as well. The two real superstars on this team, but they're not like, well, I have to. I, I'm the one who wants to score forty, and I want all the shots. They're like, if that's the if that's the game plan, they're going to give us the threes. That's what the Bucks like to do. Grant Williams is a good three point shooter. Let's get him those threes, and and he kept firing away, and uh, you know hit a, hit a good percentage. All things considered, there seven for eighteen. There were more daggers as well. Though. A couple of those were just real backbreakers there for the Bucks. Yeah. So. I think, again, you always – you want one of two things. If, if you don't have the best player, then you want better depth, and I think that's what the Celtics had uh, in this series, and certainly they had it against the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, absolutely. And Grant Williams, like, wise beyond his years as well. I think he's, his mum works for NASA – um, not that that's oh, like that a telltale right? sign for intelligence or anything, but like it, it clearly uh, <laughs> it's hereditary to some degree. Um, okay, so c- can we get that Lee Ellis fandom check or at least a, a temporary <laughs> fandom check? Like last time we had you on 2020, like peak pandemic, uh, the Raptors were still in it and you guys obviously skew Raptors on the No Dunks podcast. Um, right now there were four <laughs> well, teams left. The, the Raptors are not yeah. one of them. Celtics. Pretty lovable. Like, can we secure your support for the rest of the season? I don't know why it means so much to me, Lee, but I'm going to ask yeah, you the time well, to come on. I tell you, they're more lovable than the Paul Pierce Celtics. That's for sure. Because uh, I, I, Paul Pierce, I, I just, I mean, look, he he embraces the villainous uh, personality. You know, Paul Pierce wasn't a lovable guy. I mean, you know, he, the Still thing is, he's, a, he's, a, a, he's an LA guy playing in Boston. I had friends in Boston who said, even Bostonians don't really like Paul Pierce because he's an LA guy. I mean, we just, wow. 
don't. I mean, sure, he's playing for our team. Um, but, you know, look, like he was also one of those guys who, a brilliant player, Hall of Fame player, no no question about his talent on the court, but he just came across as a bit of a, you know, a bit smug and a bit arrogant that I just didn't like. And Kevin Garnett, a little bit the same. Like, I got to know Kevin a little bit when I worked at Turner, and um, he was a different guy, but the same guy at the same time, like nonstop mm-hmm. talking. But when you can sit down and listen to some of his stories, he's a great storyteller. And he, another another brilliant player, you know, no, no question about where their status is in terms of uh, an NBA player, but lovable, I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I saw a lot of Kevin Garnett when he would do that, you know, he'd he'd give someone a cheap shot, then raise his hands as if he wasn't doing anything. And those sorts of things <laughs> grate on you a bit. But um, again, I think this team is just uh, like, I think Jason Tatum is easily one of my top five to 10 players in the league. I think he's incredible talent. He's already taken that leap from good to all-star to now like, hey, this guy's a legit MVP candidate. And Jalen Brown is, is getting there as well. I love the way that Jalen Brown plays defense. Jalen Brown, the weirdest thing for me is I think he's a big, big-time big shooter, except at the free-throw line. He's got the weirdest sort of um, clunkers at the free-throw line, leaves so many of them on the front of the rim there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Marcus Smart, he's, he's another one of those guys where I don't love the embellishment and the flopping, which he does, which a lot of guys do. But I also do love the fact that Marcus Smart will defend anybody and he will give his all no matter who's the defending so look the the flopping and stuff tons of guys do that you know and he does do a little bit of that but he does uh, scrap and fight and he's really turned himself into a reliable three-point shooter that was a weakness early in his career it was like well you're not having Marcus Smart can play defense but he can't shoot the ball but he's improved that and he's improved as a, as a facilitator and a playmaker there for the Celtics so I think you know all those things considered and then Al Horford I mean like I say I, Al Horford I have so much respect for because he's just such a, a solid player without ever being sexy and and, and you know the Atlanta Hawks down here once and he's a handsome man He's a very handsome man, yeah. They won 60 <laughs> games with Budenholz and they had four All-Stars uh, that year and I think it was 2016. And Al Horford, I mean, he was just – he was like your dad just going out there and playing, you know, just like so reliable, so consistent. So, you know, yeah. I, I certainly like this, uh, you know, this group of Celtics more than I like the the, the, the the Paul Pierce. I mean, Ray Allen's one of my favorite of all time, so I always liked him. Uh, but Pierce <laughs> and Garnett and Rondo and, you know, a few of those other ones I didn't love. But, uh, but again, you, you certainly respect all of those guys for the, for the uh, careers they've had. Uh, a completely and professionally neutral response, Lee. I, I respect it. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, look, the I other thing is to be to be perfectly honest. Like you know, when, when we we do a daily show, you know, with the thirty teams, and I think after a while, you just realise like you just can't you just can't sort of love one team more than the other because you're talking about all these teams, yeah. and and for the benefit of the show, you've got to at least bring some sort of just neutrality uh, to, to it because if you're sort of cheering for one team and, you, and you're banging the drum of one team you end up sort of just you, your analysis is biased and it comes through to the fans as well so look I've made a million predictions that I've gotten wrong and a million that I've gotten right and and sometimes you just sort of like listen that's just that's just how it goes like you can't be but I think that the point I'm trying to make is I think it's better when you like that because you're not making them from a point of view with a bias, you're just saying, I think this team's better. Whatever your prediction is, it's because you're coming from a position where you're not really 
uh, cheering for one team over the other. I, look, of the four teams remaining, it doesn't matter to me at all who wins. I'd love to see Luca win. I'd love to see Jason Tatum win. The Heat are always there, you know, Bam and, and Jimmy Butler. He'd, he, that that would be a great story to see the Jimmy Butler post-championship celebration. And then the Warriors yeah. as well, but they've also won a lot lately. So I sort of don't care, but I, I'll be happy for whoever wins as well. Well, and it sounds like, you know, you're kind of speaking to, you know, the the idea that when you're when you're dealing with, like you said, a broader audience, you know, you're you're speaking more from the passion of the game as opposed to a particular team where I know like our audience, for for example, like we're, we're mostly talking to Celtics fans. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how this part of the pod uh, reads with that audience, especially because I know, um, you know, the the adoration for a guy like Ray Allen up until recently was a, a polarizing topic uh, amongst those that are active listeners to our show. Um, but I also I, I appreciate the the candor and and the equity that you and and the rest of your the guys on the No Dunks team um, express mm. when you guys are talking talking hoops. I was just listening to your your pod that dropped today, um, and it's it's just nice to get a balanced take across the the entire spectrum. Where oftentimes, even with the some of the more mainstream national media folks, there's this idea that they're trying to communicate that that sort of um, non-bias, but it still reads through. Cause like you're saying, you can pick up on it. You can tell if yeah. there's sort of a narrative being forced into the equation there. Um, and it's something that you guys seem to do a really nice job of avoiding and, and giving some solid insight along the way. Yeah, well, look, and, and look, the other thing is I've lived in Toronto and been close to the Raptors and I live here in Atlanta now. And and look, the Hawks last year in the playoffs were, were incredible. No doubt about it. They, you know, they, they led the Bucks at one point, the only team to win a game in Milwaukee and they look great. But this year... The Hawks, not very good. You know, they just weren't good enough. And and so, you know, I, I had no issue sort of saying that, not not like trying to play the Homer card or anything like that. I was, they just weren't good enough. They didn't improve. But then they did start playing better. I went down to a playoff game and they, it was like, okay, it's good to have the Hawks sort of playing hard again. But then, uh, of course, against the Heat, they got, they got uh, well, they didn't get swept, but they lost in five games there. And it was kind of like, well, they just didn't perform. So, um, you know, ultimately... I'll just sort of call the games as I see them. And sometimes you, you, you believe in teams and sometimes like the Phoenix Suns, I mean, and Chris Paul, especially, I, you know, I've said, I'd love to, I think he does deserve a championship. He's one of the greatest players of all time. But I also have said many times on our show that there are times you just want to like strangle him because he still does those little punk moves where he stops in front of a defender and falls over and he flops. And it's like, why do you do that? Why, why do you, why do you test my love for you when you, when you do these things where I just, I, I go crazy because you're too good. You don't need to do that. We're trying to get rid of that from the game. That sort of stuff, nobody likes. Nobody respects that. And Chris Paul, you know, he, he's one of the greatest point guards, one of the greatest players we've ever seen, but he still does that. So, you know, that that's that's where I think it goes with us anyways, is like, you know, I I, I want a guy like Chris Paul to win a championship, but if he doesn't, and, and especially the way they lost last night there to the Dallas Mavericks, there's no like, wow, they got screwed by the refs or they weren't. They got absolutely hammered at home, and, and they yeah. just weren't good enough. And so that's all you can really say about it. Well, I just wanted to play off that a little bit and kind of close out that that idea. I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that so many folks, and especially a lot of the media, have been kind of pushing this narrative that whoever wins the Bucks celtics series is, is likely kind of the ideal favorite for at least getting to the championship, if not winning it. 
Um, where do you stand on that on that particular take? Uh, do you agree with that? Are, are you seeing the, the Celtics as a favorite at this point? Or is there another team that's kind of showing you something that, hey, uh, you might not be noticing this, but this is something to take serious? Well, I, I think, like we said, all four teams could win it easily. I think uh, you can make a very strong case for, for all four of them. I mean, the Celtics are going to be in tough against the Heat here going down. The Heat had a couple of days extra rest. Uh, the old rust versus rest argument, of course, is going to be big. If the Celtics win, see, the Heat were rusty. If the uh, if the Heat win game one, well, no. Nah. They were rested. They were much better. But, um, you know, ultimately Great it comes point. down to, you know, it, it comes down to, I think, you know, just to, to who plays better. I mean, that, that, that that's that's not groundbreaking analysis. But if you are, the, the thing is, if, though, if you're it's the make or miss Celtics, league, man. Well, exactly. I know all those cliches. I mean, but this is actually great because in years gone by and, and when we were at NBA TV and when it was the Cavs and the Warriors, it was like, how do we pretend that this is more exciting when the Warriors you just, especially when they got Kevin Durant, you're like, there's no way the Cavs are going to get near him. But mm-hmm. right now, the way the Heat have played, look, they've been very good at home, but they haven't been all that good on the road. They lost, of course, to the Atlanta Hawks, and they lost a couple there in Philadelphia where their three-point shooting fell apart. They scored 79 points in one game. So the Miami Heat, they're like the Celtics. They love to play defense. They love to get out and make it a tough game. But they're going to have times where... They don't want Jimmy Butler having to score 40 points a game to win this series. They they want Jimmy Butler scoring 19 or 20 and then three or four other guys contributing the same because that's how the Heat play. They, they, they do it in a way where they have multiple guys contribute, whereas the Boston Celtics are pretty similar. They don't want Jason Tatum to have to have 38 every single game and work hard on the defensive end. They want Grant Williams to hit the seven threes. They want Pritchard to give a couple off the bench. Daniel Tice, if he can give you a good 10 minutes off the bench, that, that's great. So, you know, who's going to win the series? I mean, the, the Heat have home court advantage and they are rested. Kyle Lowry is probably somewhat still injured. Ultimately, though, I think the Celtics are a better team and, I, and I'm going to pick the Celtics to win the series, but it's not going to be over in four or five games. I think we could get six or seven again, but I think a longer series honestly favours Boston a little bit more than it does Miami because I think those older legs of the Jimmy Butlers and the Kyle Lowry's and the PJ Tuckers, those sorts of guys could feel it a little bit more if this goes seven. So um, I, I like where Boston is. Again, even though they're, they're going to be flying straight from a game seven down to Miami to get ready, I still think they're better uh, and they ultimately will win the series. And then out in the West, I mean, the Warriors have been there. They've done it. Of course, they can. Uh, they, if they get back, they're going to be a tough out. But then we had Luka Doncic, uh, I mean, just turned in an incredible series and particularly there in game seven against the uh, Suns. So mm-hmm. anyone could win it. I, I mean, I've got the Celtics certainly coming out of the East. Um, will they beat Dallas or Golden State? Maybe, probably, could be. Who knows? Uh, I'll worry about that in, in, in a couple of weeks' time when we know if they make it and uh, who they're facing. Sure. Yeah, I was cruising the uh, Miami Heat subreddit looking for like takes and, and questions for this podcast. I, f- I found a, a comment from a user uh, whose username is Dear Me, Your Dog Fits Cute. Uh, <laughs> our, our bench is deeper than theirs, they say. We need Tyler, Victor, and co. to play hard in those Pritchard slash white minutes and force Udoka's hand to play Tatum, Brown, and Smart 42 minutes plus. Does Miami win the Battle of the Benches in this matchup, Lee, or is it a wash? Well, again, I mean, in, it'll probably over the course of, you know, let's say it goes seven games, it, there'll probably be three or four games where the Celtics win and three or four where the Heat win. I mean, Tyler Hero won six man of the year. We know what he can do. Um, and uh, Victor Oladipo, he's gotten he's gotten a fair 
fairly good run since Kyle Lowry went down with a hamstring there. Now, if Kyle Lowry comes back, Oladipo probably doesn't get as many minutes. But then you've also got Duncan Robinson, who hit eight threes in the first playoff game against the Atlanta Hawks, but we haven't really seen him since because he just struggled since then. But you also know that Eric Spolster is also going to throw him out there if needed. If 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 sometimes you just need a spark, I mentioned the three-point shooting on the road hasn't been good for the Heat. Maybe Duncan Robinson finds it in a game or two in Boston. He just he just uncorks him, and, and that's what happens. So, um, again, there's, there, these two teams are very, very even. There's not a... I don't think there's a strength that one has that can truly dominate the other. I, I think it's going to come down to like who defends Jason Tatum. It's probably going to be Jimmy Butler for a lot of it, but then you're going to have guys like Struess and Vincent get a couple of goes at him, maybe even throw a PJ Tucker at him to get him physically. But if Jason Tatum can perform the way he did against the, uh, against the Bucks, it ultimately won't matter because he's been so much better, I think, uh, you know, in clutch situations. And, and just the confidence he has, not only taking good shots, but playmaking and trusting his teammates. And so, you know, that's the sign of evolution, I think, in a, in a, in a player is can he truly trust his teammates when, he, when they need a bucket and they need a three-pointer? And we just saw what the Celtics did with Grant Williams yesterday. So I have no reason to doubt that he wouldn't be able to do that in a similar situation if, uh, if they're in tough against the Heat. What are the key components for each team in this upcoming Celtics Heat series? Like, what are the exploitable matchups on each side? Well, uh, look again. You've just seen the Celtics uh, shut down Kevin, you know, Kevin Durant as much as you can, or certainly make life difficult for him. And then they've worn down Giannis. Um, so I, it figures to me that they're two. The two critical guys are Bam and Jimmy, and and basically probably starting with Jimmy, where it's like let's make sure he sees two bodies early on. Um, and uh, and we, we almost dare those other guys to hit threes. Now, they can hit them. That's the question. You don't want them to go out there and have a, you know a, a Max Struess game where he can hit five or six threes and then Tyler coming off the bench doing the same. Bam is a different character. I mean, he's very athletic. He's very fast, but he can't do the same sort of sorts of things Giannis did. Um, Bam's got a very decent sort of mid-range game. He can get in there and cause you some trouble, but he's not really going to spread the floor in the same way. Uh, but I think those are the two key components. PJ Tucker, we know he's going to be just plonked in the corner. His three-point shooting is still fine. I mean, he can still hit him, but he's not the, maybe the threat that he was a couple of years ago, certainly with the Rockets and, and even last year with the Bucks, uh, where he was really good. But, you know, Tyler Hero... You know, I mean, Celtics fans know probably better than anyone because down in the bubble he had, I think it was a 37-point game uh, against the Heat where he was really good. And he, so he hasn't been great in the playoffs so far, but I certainly expect him to uh, get a lot more burn in this series. And again, Eric Spolster is, is going to trust him. He's going to say, listen, we need you to go out there and shoot and score and hit those threes and, and, and help uh, to do what earned you the sixth man of the year award. So he can, he can, he can definitely get you 30, 35 points in a game, but he hasn't quite done that yet. And, and this Celtics team is going to be ready, I think, for that. And they're absolutely, absolutely going to have someone come out uh, and defend him and try to make sure, you know, whether, whether that is a Derek White, you know, sort of a bench guy like that, who's a good defender. He comes from the Spurs system, of course, who's going to be like, make sure you stay on this guy because sometimes these guys, like a Tyler Hero, who's been struggling, he only needs that one game to, to get moving and hit some threes, and that could open him up and unlock him for the rest of the series. So, you know, but this this was great. Both teams can really defend each other super, super well. Um 
but they've also got threats from from virtually everybody. Again, they're, they're, you're going to see a ton of threes in this series. You're going to see a ton of guys, uh, you know, try to try to light up the other team. Jalen Brown, I think, is going to have a huge series here for the Celtics because I don't really know who's going to defend him uh, mm-hmm. for the Miami Heat. Again, assuming that Butler is on Tatum. Uh, Williams and Bam, obviously. Smart will be with Oladipo. So then it's a it's a Vincent, it's a Struess, um, or a PJ Tucker. Uh, I would take uh, now. Look, I love PJ; he's great. But again, Jalen's a young, athletic guy with good handles. He can get inside and he can spread you out. That's where the advantage is. It's like if PJ's on you, bring him out, and then you can attack the paint, um, and that could help. You know that that could really un, un, uh, open things up inside for the Celtics. Yeah, absolutely. PJ Tucker, um, I'm very um, happy that he wasn't on that Bucks team that we just played because yeah. you know, it was on a nice edge, right? Like it came down to a game seven and, you know, the game seven wasn't particularly close. But um, and you mentioned that was because Giannis was worn down. But PJ Tucker, add him to the mix and it's a completely different story, let alone Chris Middleton. Um, so he's certainly going to be a challenge for the Celtics in this series uh, from like just a narrative and um, like neurotic Celtics fan standpoint personally <laughs> worried about the uh, the Max Struess uh, element there because of course and he was with the Celtics for a little while uh, and then we had to let him go in favor of Javante Green who we also had to let go in favor of I think it might have been Ines, Ines Cantor or Ines Freedom or, or something like that and so just from the like tortured fan perspective, it makes sense that Max Struess would like come back and torture us and, and mm. knock us out of the out of the the playoffs here. So it's going to be interesting to see um, Robert Williams and, and Kyle Lowry. They each have a foot in or out of the injury door. I think Kyle Lowry's just been confirmed as out in Game One. Uh, so the status going forward is is unclear. Which teams, you know, both teams are banged up at this point in the playoffs, Lee. Which teams' injury concern? Uh, is is more concerning to you? Yeah, well, look, I think Kyle Lowry has been so important for the Heat this year because um, he's their only real point guard. And uh, there are times where that offense bogs down. And Jimmy can take over, you know, Tyler Hero. These guys, they, they've got guys who can fill in. But I think the Heat have been at their best this season when Lowry just gets that fast break going. The transition, he just gets a ball and just flings it ahead. And he can hit that three. You know, he's he's been uh, a guy who's really reliable like that. He's a leader. He's experienced all those sort of veteran terms that you throw out there and I think they really do miss him so um, you know he's going to be huge but then Robert Williams I mean his athleticism is going to be huge in this series uh, going up against Bam because you need like Al Horford uh, I've, I've talked about how much I love him but you know, athletically, Robert Williams can get up and contest those shots a little bit better. You know, he can come over, he can make up a little bit more ground. He's got six more fouls as well, which you might need uh, against the Miami Heat. You need to send that message that if anyone comes into the paint, there's going to be multiple guys contesting shots. So, um, look, I guess it's I guess it's Lowry because he's more a veteran, he's a bit more experienced, and the Celtics do have a lot of guys, a lot of bigger bodies that can cover up for Robert Williams, I guess. But, uh, I mean, they're both significantly impactful for their teams. And and look, if, if Williams... I think they're probably, look, they have to keep him out as long as possible to prevent him from doing further damage because if the Celtics go on further, they're going to need him. Um, but at the same time, you can't afford to drop both of these games in Miami. So it's a, it's a tough dilemma there for Udoka. But you've got, you know, just veterans, who I think, who can cover for him, whereas the Heat, they could really, really 
miss Lowry a lot more significantly if that offense does bog down and they don't have anyone to sort of just get them going. Um, and we saw him against Philadelphia. He was dragging his foot around in one game there and was like, I can't believe this guy's even playing. You know, I, I, I think he injured it against the Hawks originally. They brought him back earlier. And now, uh, you know, they're taking it game by game by the sounds of it. But I wouldn't be surprised if Lowry misses uh, at least two or three games of this series here because a hamstring, if he comes back and he, and he, and he tweaks it again, he will probably be done for the uh, remainder of the playoffs as long as Miami's in it. One of the things I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, um, just off of some of what you're, you've kind of been talking about, is when we look at this, we've kind of seen how the, the, the Celtics have gone against two teams up until this point where the other team has had the arguably the best player. Or not even arguably. I think the general overwhelming consensus is that the, the Nets had the best player and obviously the Bucks had the best player. In this particular series... It would seem like if we're having that conversation, it's between Jimmy Butler and and Jason Tatum. Do you see that as more of a wash or do you see one team having the edge there? And is it going to be as impactful in this series as, well, I suppose the Celtics have kind of been dismissing the whole narrative that if you have the best player, you're going to win anyway. But um, yeah, just love to hear your thoughts kind of on that dynamic. Well, look, Jimmy Butler uh, down in the bubble again. As you Celtics fans know, he he was incredible in the entire bubble. He he really did step his game up. Um, and apart from the playoffs last year, where he was an embarrassment against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks when they got swept, he's stepped his game up again this season. And this Jimmy kind of mails in the regular season. You know, he doesn't put in all that much effort. He just goes out there and plays. He knows that it's about. The playoffs, and again, so far he's really stepped up his three-point shooting. I don't have the number here right now, but I know his three-point shootings basically doubled in the playoffs to to what it was in the regular season. He gets his body in incredible condition. He loves the fight. He loves the battle, and he and he loves being tested. And so far through the first two series, he has been great. Now he goes up against the Celtics, and again, how they defend him is going to be interesting because I think they're going to want to throw a couple of bodies at him and try to employ those same tactics that Giannis faced and that Kevin Durant faced, where it's like as soon as this guy puts a ball on the ground, he's going to feel defenders. They're going to come in and collapse and and close in on him and just make him make a decision whether or not he's going to pass out or try to play you know, one-on-two or one-on-three, whatever he's going to try to do. But just get him out of any sort of rhythm or any sort of zone where he can just lock in because that's Jimmy at his best where he's like, okay, tonight, if they're just going to send single coverage at me, I'm going to go at this guy. Because as good as Tatum is, as good as Brown is, Jimmy will, will relish that challenge, I think. I think he'll, he'll, he'll thrive in that situation. So I think um, Udoka and, and the Celtics brain trust there is going to be like, we want this guy to be disrupted again, especially if Kyle Lowry isn't there because then it means Struess and Vincent and, and whoever else have to be big the entire game. And, um, and, and bam, I mean, you know, they've, they've, got, they've got other guys who can contribute, but if Jimmy is in his flow and in his groove, then I think that means uh, the Heat are probably in a pretty strong position to win any of those games. But if they can rattle him, get him upset, get him just not comfortable, then I think it tilts towards the Celtics. Yeah, and, and Lee, to your point, um, 23% he was shooting from three in the regular season. He's he's up to 36% now right. uh, on, on four attempts, and he was only taking about two attempts during the regular season. So, yeah, just like you said, just – Nearly about doubling the 
the volume out and and doubling up on his efficiency with it, which is pretty impressive. I mean, then that's the kind of cat that he is, and he's, mm-hmm. he's shown that year after year. Yeah, but- well, that's right. I mean, he 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 talks about that a lot. How he you know he takes such good care of himself to ready himself for the playoff. This is when he commits and does everything. I mean, there are games during the regular season. It feels like he just says, "I'm just not playing tonight because I don't want to. I'm I'm playing Indiana on a Tuesday night." Like, no thanks. He's saving himself <laughs> for the Celtics in the conference finals. His legs, his you know, his whole sort of entire commitment to his body is to go out there and just perform on the biggest stage, and uh, he has got the track record to prove it. And um, you know, so you can't doubt him at this stage, even though again he's a little bit older now, and you know he's uh, he's he's got a he's got a fair few playoff miles in those legs, but uh, he's delivered so far this season, and uh, and I think Boston are game planning to expect a pretty big series from him. Yeah, the the Jimmy Butler and the like quote unquote heat culture thing is what freaks me out as a Celtics fan because like <laughs> if that's what we're going to lose to, it's that. But at the same time, it's compelling and like I, I want to see that defeated and I want to see that put to rest because it is as a non Heat fan kind of tiring to see that whole Jimmy <laughs> Butler waving that flag, you know, for the last few years and like this is where yeah. I belong and you know taunting the, the team. <laughs> Celtics, that, Celtics pride is the antidote. Well, I'm telling well, you, it's so. the antidote. Celtics pride versus Heat culture. That's what's happening. And that, yeah, that, that goes weird. back as well to the uh, the LeBron Wade. Battles against Pierce and Garnett as well. I mean, they they fought a couple of times in the playoffs there, and then Ray Allen, of course, uh, you know, leaves the Celtics. That was <laughs> that was the big thing, like you were saying off the top. I mean, that was where the relationship between he and Pierce and Garnett kind of fell apart there, because uh, yeah. he went and joined the Heat after uh, after what twenty traitor twenty twelve, yeah. I think it was. So um, yeah. good to see him and him and uh, him and Kevin Garnett are uh, uh, are buds again. So. That was nice. And hopefully that, yeah, I don't know, like see. cosmically, like I'm get, getting off the analysis train here, but that, I don't know, if somehow yeah. feeds into Celtic success. Um, a quick Reddit comment here on another matchup for this series. Uh, Ammomatic says that Time Lord is going to be huge against Bam at a bio. Exactly what we needed in 2020. Now that Rob has gotten his rest, this should be uh, a much better matchup for him. Can't wait to see him uh, in lockup mode again. Um, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, we do have Al Horford as well that we didn't have in in 2020. So I think matchup wise, mm. I'm I'm reminded, you know, of the the Bam Adebayo block on Jason Tatum, which uh, yes, you know, if I close my eyes at night, I still see that on the inside of my eyelids. So I'm, I'm hopeful oh, that man, um, no, that Rob Williams, um, <laughs> you know, can nullify that a little bit. But you know, we've talked about the series um, coming up. We've talked about Game Seven against the Bucks, which was great. Uh, we do have to start wrapping up here, Lee. We've taken up enough of your time. Couple of non-Celtics related questions for you before we go. First one is just generally Ben Simmons, which as an Aussie mm. Hoops fan is a, a concept, <laughs> I guess, that's been gnawing away at me for a few years. Um, I went down to those, I'm, I'm in Sydney, I went down to those Melbourne games, um, Boomers versus Team USA. And, and prior mm-hmm. to that, we saw the tweets of Ben Simmons suited up as a Boomer uh, and you know ready to play, ready to contribute you know, for his country didn't happen you know then we go into the olympics and some some question as to whether or not ben simmons is gonna you know put on the the green and gold and contribute as well didn't happen um and then some nefarious nba related behavior as well from Mm. ben simmons where he's not favorable and held in high regard among nba fans let alone aussies where do you stand on that lee like you've, you've got a pretty you're on this sort of aussie hoops pedestal you know let's be honest yeah what are your thoughts on that 
Well, it, it is repeat behavior here because I, I know exactly what you're talking about with the uh, the Team USA games. He said, yep, yep, I'm playing, I'm playing. And then he said, no, I'm not. I think it was the same for the Olympics. Uh, when he signed, well, when he was traded to Brooklyn, he said, I want to play Philadelphia March 10. I'm going to play. And he didn't play. I mean, look. Uh, I understand if he was pissed off at the end of last season. You know, they just lost the game seven, and his dunk was kind of the the the, the tipping point. Everyone's like, oh, you why didn't you dunk? Why didn't you throw it down? And he didn't hit those free throws. He didn't score. But that was a culmination of him not doing the work. I, I look. I don't know Ben. I've never met him. But all I can base my opinion and assessment is over covering the NBA for now over a decade, and 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 really being a fan for even longer. His numbers and his averages in his career so far have basically flatlined. Now, those numbers are fine, but I have never seen a star player not improve in one area of his game, whether that's defense, rebounding, three-point shooting, playmaking, whatever it is. Every player improves because they go and do the work in the offseason. To yep. me, he just doesn't do that work. And he he survives off his incredible athleticism and his talent, and that gets you to a certain point. I mean, he's a three-time All-Star. He's, he's runner-up defensive player of the year. So he's doing incredibly well. But to me, and it's funny because I had somebody who actually does work very, very closely uh, to him and his camp saying he basically doesn't work hard in the summer. He's way more interested in, in, in driving his Ferraris and going to parties and being seen with LeBron and you know, doing things act. like that. Yeah, and so this this the person who told me was saying like coaches and teammates and players have said like you've got to get in the gym, you've got to get in the gym, and he's kind of like I don't really want to do that. So this this is <laughs> like it, it's funny, you know, being in the position I've been in now, you know, with NBA TV, you do get to know a few people over time, and and some people are just saying like everyone in the organization is sort of like shrugging their shoulders by saying like. Why isn't he doing this? Why can't he take criticism? Why doesn't he go and want to work on his game? Because he's kind of saying, well, I don't need to. You know, I'm good enough as it is. But everyone else goes out there and just works and works, especially when you have an enormous deficiency like he does. Because the other thing is when he went to Brooklyn, uh, a person also told me there, he got there and he told us as well, another thing like you're saying off the top there, he's like, he was keeping himself in shape, ready with, so if he got traded, he could play. He got to Brooklyn and apparently the Brooklyn Nets front office and, and the staff and the coaching staff were like, what has this guy been doing? Because he's not ready. He hasn't been shooting. He hasn't been doing anything. He's not been like the scrimmaging and stuff that we heard he was doing. He obviously wasn't doing that, certainly not at an intense level. It was like he hadn't been playing basketball at all for months. Wow. Now, again, it's speculative and, and I wasn't there. I didn't see it. But of course. the person who told me was like, is like people are just looking around uh, at the Nets front office and just going like, this guy's just nowhere near ready to play in the NBA. And it's not like he's coming off an injury. He didn't play in, in Philadelphia because he didn't want to. Daryl Morey and the Sixers wanted him to play. He didn't want to. He couldn't get over the fact that, that he felt, um, you know, that they threw him under the bus. They did to some point, but certainly not to not worse than we've seen from other star players over the years. So um, I think, I mean, he's, he's playing himself out of the league. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and I, I, I just don't understand why there isn't somebody in his camp who's able to get through to him and say, People only care about how hard you work and the effort you put in off the court to improve your game, which he just hasn't shown any signs of doing that. Because again, the stats tell you that he's not improving because he's not trying. That's the thing. like, And that's what makes it so frustrating is that he has the platform to still pivot and succeed from this point. Um, so, and, you know, I, I hate 
on him externally, but internally I'm, I am rooting for him and I hope that he, he still does turn it around because he's obviously a very talented player. He is Australian. We love him on the boomers, especially with Ingalls and, and Paddy Mills getting a little bit older. So hopefully he still has it within him to, to turn it around. So some interesting stuff there. I've got one more non-Celtics related question for you, Lee, and then Jay's going to wrap it up with a Celtics question. This is more on a personal level. The, the, no, the mm. no dunks, um, Instagram, you know, they've been posting some <laughs> some clips of you guys playing pickup ball now that the pandemic is like kind of over. And uh, pretty impressive stuff, Lee, got to say, like, you know, watch a lot of basketball. you got some moves. you got some good shooting there. Um, I uh, am getting into sort of the mid later stages of my 30s and I play in a couple of uh, sort of rec leagues here in Sydney and a lot of 18 sort of to 25 year olds, a lot of people blowing by me now, a lot of people that I can't defend. Do you have any tips for a sort of a maturing hooper like myself to sort of um, elongate their their very casual basketball career? Yeah, well, uh, the, the, the truth is, you know, I play once a week and uh, it takes me a few days to recover and then a few days to prepare and then Wednesday's <laughs> around again. Um, yeah. But on, honestly, like, I, I'm, I'm no um, dietitian or nutritionist, but I, I really did cut out meat basically from my diet and no French fries and things like that because you just, honestly, you just feel all those things around your midsection. So when you sort of get on the more plant-based diet, and, and all that stuff, you find that you just lose a bit more weight and you don't carry it around. And the more you can, better you can move around on the court, the just better you play. As far as getting blown by by 20, right? Like you're gone. There's nothing you can do about that. Uh, and I can't, I can't blow by anyone off the dribble anymore. So, you know, you've got to develop the three point game or at least a, uh, a long two game there. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the, um, in terms of the physical side, I've, I've really found, uh, I started going plant based about five years ago. And it's just it's it's an incredible way to um, preserve your body, I think, because you just you just recover a little bit better. The weight is again, you just don't carry around as much of it. So um, you know, if you can uh, focus on those sorts of things and see if it makes a difference. But uh, look, I wake up some of those Thursdays and uh, I'm just like, oh my god, I didn't even know I had a part of my body that's just hurting here, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, at this point, I'm just trying to. I'm just taking it week by week, and as long as I can get out there and play and have fun, uh, that's all that counts. Hopefully, so BB just, can put out a plant-based beer at some point for me. Uh, so yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that's that's That'll the other do. thing is is I I, uh, I I stopped drinking beer like at home. Like if I go with friends or whatever, I have a couple of beers then. But uh, I was like, oh my god, I got you got to, you know, it's a tough it's a tough thing to to sacrifice. But I'm like, it, you'd notice the difference. I just feel it a little bit better, and um, you know, yep. I think again as you get older, I'm nearly 46. You uh, you, you you're like, wow, these things. When you're a kid, when you're 20, you eat McDonald's, you'd go out all night, you drink, you party, you wake up, and you're playing, you're fine. Yep. Now it's kind of like, all right, I got to I got to start preparing for like the game in two weeks' time by what I'm doing tonight, <laughs> and make sure <laughs> I'm disciplined until that game starts. For sure. I, I can relate in some regards, but then there's other aspects of like, I never had any um, advantages when I was in my early 20s because I was um, very problematic with the way that I uh, related with food and used food as a coping mechanism. So it wasn't right. until I got into like my, my low 30s that I actually started focusing on my health and nutrition. And so then I found that I was able to, like you're saying, like once you actually do get that honed in. You can start doing things on the court that like yes. maybe you only remember you could do back when you were a kid or you just <laughs> yeah. you didn't even know because by the time you had adult physiology you had gotten so far gone like I I'm, I'm only 58 and at my peak I was like 280 pounds like it was a problem. Whoa. Yeah. 
and but did wow. did a shift, you know, small, gradual, yeah. sustainable changes yeah. over time, and dropped like a buck twenty. I was down to like one sixty at, at my best. I put on a little COVID weight back on, so I, I oh, got some work. Yeah, that, yeah, I got some work to yeah. do <laughs> before I take on Jay King because I think him him and I got to have a one on one one of these days. Um, right, but. I remember getting into the into the gym and play like Ben's saying, like playing with some younger kids because you know they're all enthusiastic, they're about it, and like I'm back, I'm in shape all of a sudden, I'm feeling like I'm ready to go. And here's the thing: you start playing, right? And you don't. Time goes away. It's like you're in a casino and all the windows are just blocked. You can't even see daylight anymore. And like by the time I regain consciousness and realize that I've been playing probably longer than I should, it's like four hours later. The college kids are like asking to go again, and I'm like, uh, yeah, actually, yeah. I got a, you know, I I I got a work thing that I got to yeah, do, yeah, yeah. and then I go home to a, a bathtub full of Epsom salt and like as much ice as I can <laughs> make in a two hour period, uh, and yeah. like you said, it takes days afterwards. <laughs> it takes days to come back. Oh yeah, no, it, it but I I think as well, um, the COVID situation also. It was it was good in the sense I was like oh man I sort of stopped playing and I was you know playing once every you, you take take it for granted you think it's always going to be there and then I didn't play for you know two years solid um, because of uh, because of COVID and then when when they opened up the gym again I, I played a little bit of outdoor you know it was outdoor or whatever um, but then when they opened the gym up again I was like all right I, I'm getting back into this I, I enjoy it you know and uh, we've got a pretty good group actually on Wednesday nights. Um, you know, not too much fight. There's always a little bit of fight, and there's always a few guys who want to fight over if it was a travel or a double <laughs> dribble or something like that. But uh, I'm just enjoying playing again, and, and Trey and I have been playing, and it's funny because we do record each other when we're playing, but last week, Trey and I were on the same team for, like, we won six games in a row, wow. and we were both saying <laughs> afterwards, like, we had some really nice plays to each other, but we had no one to shoot it, so uh, they, they, they've gone to waste. But um, it was it was so much fun. I mean, when you play with friends as well like that, uh, and you have some wins, I mean, that yeah. just makes it just makes it great. So uh, unfortunately, we 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 got a couple of highlights up, but uh, there was some that will just never see the light of day. Unfortunately. So right, the last thing that this. I that's a takeaway. Sorry, go yeah. ahead, Jay. Yeah, the last thing I, I, I'd really uh, love to kind of I, and give both of your takes on this, especially because you both have, I think, um, a, a different perspective on how you'd make this decision. So there was a post put up in the sub uh, today by user Lightning Fast, and it was just a poll question, just asking what was your favorite game from the Bucks series? And so the options that were given were game two, the JB explosion in that first half. Game four, which is the Al Horford game. Game six, where Tatum does the superstar thing. Game seven, where Grant Williams, a.k.a. the Batman, uh, you know, comes in and just rains hellfire from three. Um, Are any of those the standouts, you know, for you? Or is there anything else from that series that stands out as like the the piece of it that if you could go back and kind of watch again, you'd want to see it again? Well, I think for me it was game one because I picked the Celtics to win and I thought uh, it's going to be tough without Middleton. And the fact that Giannis was able to play the way he did, it was like, all right, we've got a series now. This is a this is on because the Celtics had just come off a very convincing victory, but you're like, maybe that was too easy against the Nets. Now they're in for a battle. And so, you know, if you look back historically, I don't have the percentages here, but for the team to win the first game on the road and to have won game five on the road and be up 3-2, 
the chances of you winning the series must be like 97% from there. Yeah. So the Celtics, and again, they were down, what, doubled? They were down 14 or 15 in game six there before Tatum took over. So, you know, historically speaking, we haven't really seen much of that before. Um, I, I mean, I can't think of a series off the top of my head where you've had that, where it's like, wow, they blew it. They didn't blow it. Game five was an incredible game there where Giannis hits a three, Drew has the two incredible steals. They're going home. It's like they're going to close this out, surely. And Boston comes back and wins in seven. So, uh, but again, I think that starts in game one because, uh, you know, because it was like Giannis from the start, it was like, man, he maybe Giannis is going to do this, you know, almost by himself without Middleton and, 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 and Drew Holiday there playing. So um, I think that's great. It set the tone for a, a great series. I don't remember one game that was like, I mean, game two kind of was a bit of a bit of a stinker there because uh, the Celtics blew them out in the end, and even game seven. I mean, the second half wasn't all that exciting. Unfortunately, we didn't get didn't come down to the wire, but uh, I think otherwise we got a knee every other bucket. game. <laughs> did he get a bucket? Did he? I, I, he I did, think I yeah. tuned out by then. Yeah, I know Fan Stauskas favorite. came on and uh, and uh, Cornette came on too, didn't he? I think. Uh, at that, if, if I see Luke Cornett, that's I'm I'm switch I'm doing something else. I'm not watching uh, the rest of that game. Uh, Doka was playing all the hits at the end. There, it was great for us Celtics uh, yeah, yeah. fans. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny, Lee. Like um, different perspectives. Like your favorite memories from this series are my most painful memories. Like game one, <laughs> coming out of the out of the net series, I was like, well, we might sweep the Bucks. Like we're that good. We just like knocked out Durant and Kyrie in four games. Um, and then to lose that game uh, was a big wake up call for everybody. My uh, two takeaway games, Jay, two takeaway memories, that Al Horford blow by and dunk, like talking about 35-year-olds blowing by younger guys, uh, that was a huge day for 35-year-olds everywhere. I'm obviously 35. <laughs> Al Horford blowing by Giannis and dunking on him and then the the rare Al Horford emotional outburst, that was fantastic. And then game six, got to call out game six, which uh, that's a star maker for Tatum to to come in like that and score 46 and to overcome the deficit and to survive elimination on the road against the best player in the world. There's nothing, you couldn't ask for anything better than that as a, as a Tatum fan or a Celtics fan. Uh, and then to go on to win this series. So, so great stuff there. Lee, uh, we've kept you for almost an hour here. So we're going to wrap up. Look, um, I would plug I'm your sorry. podcast, but honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably very much aware of the Athletic and the <laughs> podcast. Um, Lee Ellis, thank you so much for coming on for episode 200. Uh, we will get you back on for episode 300. We will continue to wear you down and try and make you a Celtics fan, at least for, for a series at a time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Ben no, has offered prize money if, uh, if one of us can, can help make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> right. We're, we're calling it Fangate. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I, I said before, you know, you guys done a fantastic job because uh, most podcasts just simply don't even they, they don't get to ten shows. And uh, and I've said I get off. You know, I do get a lot of people ask me to go on their podcast, and I'm like, how many have you done? And if they, I see they've done two or five, I'm like, all right, if you get to a, mo- a milestone like the hundreds, I'll keep coming on. So uh, congratulations to you guys. I know it's tough, and uh, you know, you, if you're balancing jobs and lives and things like that, so uh, credit to you guys for the hard work and. Uh, been fun chat talking to you guys so uh not a celtic bean boy bean town boy just yet but uh not yet maybe maybe in 100 episodes we'll see this time (laughs) appreciate it mate (laughs) cheers guys